Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Nobody. Hello and welcome to this Q&A episode. Andy, hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? How are you coping with the heat? Do you know what? I know that, like, not to rub it into anyone, but it is perfect weather in Dundee. Like the the hot days that we had Monday, Tuesday, 25, 26, the dream. I know that people were literally like sweating away in London and stuff, but here it's actually just been perfect. What about you? Yeah, it'd be not too bad. The only issue we've got is with the dog, so. She's, yeah. uh, she's not been too comfortable but um she's just been in the flat with the uh, air conditioning and the fans and stuff on so power bill will be going through the roof but dog comfortable that's all that matters yeah well do you know what that'll help the old global warming just make it even hotter <laughs> exactly unfortunately um, hi Alison can I just say just love Alison's vibe happy smiley excited well, I mean how can you tell that people are smiley over the internet I don't know I just get that vibe that she's always like Buzzing, great attitude. Buzzing, that's what it's all about. Um, I did a panel thing this morning, but I had to be like zoomed in and it was in a an old cinema, or maybe it's not an old cinema, just a cinema. And I was like on the big cinema screen. It's very cool, it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was really interesting people as well and, and like a different... It was, I think they're all marketers or work in advertising. So it wasn't fitness. So it was good. Mm, cool. That's awesome. Okay. How are you? Do you have any news? No, none whatsoever. No. I'm living, I'm, I'm living quietly. Training's going all right, apart from fad and sweating like it. So I've got a fly in here with me. Sweating like a mentalist after like one set. Um, but that's life. That's the way it goes. Mm. What is it? Still, what is it? Everybody says, "Oh, sweated buckets have had a great workout." Sweating's so. just fat crying, Andy. Oh yeah, so it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. Great. Okay. Should we get on with the questions? Let's do it. Um. Right. I've got the questions here. So, um, if you have to make sure you're fueled well enough to be able to build muscle, does this have to be food eaten on the day or around the time you're training? Or if you average enough calories to build throughout the week, does that also work? I've been banking some calories every day as I had a barbecue this weekend, but then had a thought, will I not be feeling workouts? So there's a flaw in my plan. Goals are a little bit of fat loss, but mostly balanced life and improving in the gym. Um, it's absolutely to find. To find? It's absolutely to find, which is a new word that I've made up. Go means- to leads. Got to leads for a pint of lager. Um, it's absolutely fine to do that if you're sensible. And by that, I mean, if you're like, yes, yeah, so I was just saving some calories for the weekend. So I ate 
400 calories a day during the week like or something ridiculous then yeah like you're going to really struggle to do good workouts on that but if you're like okay well I was saving 10% of my calories a day and then eating more on the weekend because I know I have a barbecue coming up and I've got a goal of a little bit of fat loss but I want to build muscle and feel my feel myself as well yeah fine like you, you most things in life it's like if you're sensible yeah it's all right like it, and that makes a lot of sense like I always do that I eat less during the week and then on the weekend I've got a bit more flexibility it works for almost anyone and you can absolutely fuel yourself and build muscle doing that the caveat I would say to that is if you're for some reason on very low calories for example if you're a very small person and your yeah well even then I'm like well actually then you wouldn't actually need that many calories to build the muscle either or to fuel your workouts either because you're again like burning less energy smaller person but on lower calories it does become a little bit harder like if you're trying to stick to 1500 calories but then also save calories then it can get a little bit ridiculous yeah I think this, the saving calories thing has to be done within reason because so many folk would they say use the word abuse it they'll over this is where this uh, restrict and overeat starts to come in um, people are trying to clean back huge amounts of calories for the weekends um, and rather than focusing on exactly as the question so talking about fueling your performance in the gym um, it's fine to, to bank a few calories 100 calories especially as, as Emma's already mentioned depending on how little or how low calories you're already on can be the sort of crux of the conversation when it comes to how many you can actually bank because nobody wants to be trying to eat 12 1100 calories a day if you're trying to overshoot and bank far too many for the weekends um and i think it's one of those ones you've got to you've kind of got to understand what your goal is and realize that there is going to be a little bit of give and take and you may have to realize that you're going to have to be a bit smarter at the weekends yeah agreed um this reminds me of a message I got this morning reminds me all the way back to this morning when I got a Facebook message an Instagram message and it was from a girl who's worried about increasing her calories and she was like I am ridiculously low during the week and then I end up binging on the weekend like I know the cycle I'm in I just can't seem to stop it and I'm eating like 800 calories during the week and then like 6,000 on a binge during over the weekend and she's like I'm really worried about increasing my calories and I was like let's do the maths on this so I was like okay if you ate 800 calories a day times like for six days and then you add on a 6,000 calorie binge and then you divide that by seven over the week guess how many calories per day 1,500 1,500 and like 42 calories a day right which is like a sensible thing and and a lot of people do this like that's that does sound extreme but obviously this person has messaged and and like said that's what's happening and it comes from the over restriction like actually if you just ate 1500 calories a day you would be doing pretty well and she's like I'm really worried about increasing my calories I'm like actually that could be one way to help people who are stuck in this mentality of let's do the maths yeah happens when you actually like equal this out and you average it out over the week it's actually you know that's a decent amount of calories to fuel yourself on obviously depending on how much energy you're expending but yeah that's quite a sensible calorie target Sometimes it just needs to be put in front of people, though. Like, if you put that in front, if you were to tell somebody that, they'd be like, oh, my God, that's madness. But if you put it down on numbers and actually show them this is your average across the course of the week, then it's a little bit like, oh, okay. 
It's actually not increasing my calories in the slightest. It's, yeah, well, that's it's, what people think. It's like, yeah. when we tell you to increase your calories, what we often mean is you're going to decrease your calories, but you need to increase your daily calories in order to decrease your calories. And it is like, when you write it out, when you do the maths on it, it's like, this is quite a simple concept, but a lot of people worry about it. And I completely get the mindset of that if you're used to over-restricting so much that then actually eating a normal amount of food can seem ridiculous. And all you've ever done is, or at least for a long period of time, the massive over-restriction or the huge overindulgence. So mm. it can seem like you're eating a lot when you're eating quote, quote, normally and very new and different and kind of a little bit scary and unknown, but that's just because you're not used to it. And I guarantee if this person does that for a couple of weeks, they will feel incredible. Like no one can thrive on 800 calories. Like your attention must be pretty bad, your energy levels poor, probably constantly thinking about food. And then you feel really guilty about the fact that you then massively overate, but you obviously overate because anyone would with that level of restriction. So yeah, if that's if you're in a bit of a cycle like that, please reach out if you're listening on the podcast, or especially if you're on commit six, but I highly doubt that anyone is doing that on commit six. Um I hope not. Yeah, please reach out right now. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. Awesome. Good answer. Uh, Kate, question about the science. Sorry if this has been asked before, but so much of the academic research focused on men rather than women. It'd be interesting to know what you think some of the key differences in weight loss and physique building between men and women and what specifically women might need to do or think about differently. I've been reading Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, and it made me think about where the gaps in knowledge might be in this area of science. Oh, it's such a good book, although it does make you quite angry. Really? Like, even, well, yeah, even stuff like some of the examples are so interesting in it, like that you would never really think of. I think one that is spoken about quite a lot is that like crash dummies in cars are all like car safety is built around the male body, which is alarming and worrying. But even things like most um, pianists, like elite level, top level, expert i speak about playing the piano a ridiculous amount for someone, someone who, who doesn't <laughs> play the piano. anyway what this is one of the examples is most um of the best pianists are men because pianos are built for men and the hand span of a woman is smaller and thus it's harder to play at the same level and it's like little things like that like the world is you notice little things the world is built for men around men now, when it comes to research on women, coming from also the perspective of having done sports science research myself, I can see why people use men. It is so much easier. And bear in mind, like the funding is lower, uh, it is pretty low in sports science as well. So if you're trying to account for, I don't know, the, the effect of whatever treatment you're actually looking for the effect of, but also you have to get everyone at the same stage of their cycle. Oh, and now some women have amenorrhea and some women don't have a normal cycle and that woman has PCOS and this woman is menopausal and this woman's on the pill. You're like, oh, like it's, it's now actually a very diverse group, even though they are all under the bracket of being a woman, you've got quite different hormonal profiles going on. So there is like a lot more to consider um, which makes it harder to study. So I can see why like men are studies. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just kind of wanting to give like both sides of the argument there. In regards to what I think is different, what we know to be slightly different is women can recover slightly quicker from 
resistance training. So they can probably train with a higher volume. We don't know if that is from the protective effects of estrogen in terms of um, muscle breakdown or whether it is. And interestingly, and I just put this in EIQ actually, because it came up with the menopause stuff, but when you build muscle, you are making little tears in your muscle and to stimulate the um, growth and repair of that muscle, which is how you grow muscle, you activate what are called satellite cells, which are like stem cells in your muscle so that you can build more muscle. Now, part of this activation has some kind of estrogen dominance to it, which means that when you're menopausal and estrogen drops, if you're not on HRT, it can be harder to build muscle because you're, you don't have the same impact of, of the increase in satellite cells. So that's quite interesting. So there may, there may be an impact in regards to that. That could be part of the reason that women recover quicker. There is also an argument that it's just that women lift lighter weights and thus don't um, cause as much uh, injury to the muscle, which means that they can then recover quicker from it. So there, there are various reasons why that might be, but women generally tend to be able to train at a higher volume than men and still recover. So that's one aspect that might be a little bit different. The, the other thing when it comes to fat loss, hormones and every impact that hormones can have, which is like almost everything under the sun. And again, the reason that I don't actually think it would be that useful I mean, it would be useful to do more studies on women, but it still wouldn't be that useful is because we're all so different. Like you will get people who are like, if it's the week before my period, I can't, I can barely get out of bed and my mood is so low and there's absolutely no chance I'm doing a workout. And you get women that are like, oh yeah, I've got a pretty normal regular cycle and it doesn't really affect me in the slightest. Like I don't have to change anything. So the way that you would coach those people is completely different. And equally, you'll have women who are taking... Um, hormonal contraceptives or you have women who are menopausal and again even even within like okay you've got this group of women who are going through the menopause they will all experience it completely different and have completely different side effects which means they need to be coached completely differently depending on what they're struggling with which is exactly why you do your one-to-one check-ins right because so much of fat loss is about what you are specifically struggling with at the moment as opposed to anything like physiological that would need to be different from a purely like training and exercise, uh, training, exercise and nutrition perspective, for the fact that someone is a woman, I don't think you would need to change that much. Obviously, aside from just like you're, you're a smaller person, so energy expenditure is lower. But like what builds muscle for a man builds muscle for a woman. As I've just said, women might be able to get away with a bit more volume. But actually, it's probably on a practical level less that you would actually change. However, in like a coaching setting, potentially loads you would change, but it's more to do with the individual, not the fact that she has ovaries and a vagina. Like, mm. and now we do, you know, man, woman is like a gender yeah. sex. So if we were talking about sex, which is your biological sex, as opposed to gender, because that's a whole other conversation, then I don't think we would need to change too much. Now, I think for the just what you were talking about, things like hormones, yeah, that's obviously what you look on that. But training-wise, I think there's so many, so many people try to create programs that are male or female-only training. It's the same exercises. It really is. There's 
there's there's generally nothing. The only things I've you may have to think about is things like um, potentially females with breast augmentation. They might not be able to do something like an incline bench because of the angle and the press might end up pushing things out of place. Um, and just little bits and pieces like that. That's about the only thing. But again, that's something that could, you know, it might be a biomechanics problem for uh, a man that can't shoulder press because he can't get his arms into the position he needs to be into. And again, that comes down to the, the individual and down to the coach to be able to pinpoint these things and work through them. Um, but yeah, generally it's pretty much the training's training's training. Simple as that. Yeah, like it really always easy. comes back to you're coaching the individual and there are various factors. I think people get, confused isn't the right word, but like they jump to conclusions because there are huge differences, obviously, between men and women. Like it's almost ridiculous to say that. There are huge differences, but just because there are huge differences, it doesn't mean that they need to train in a different way. And I think people jump from the fact that like they almost build up this kind of straw man argument of like, well, look how different a woman's physiology is to a man's thus they should be training for a different way and like no you're still stimulating that muscle still feeding it protein still giving it rest still works for a man still works for a woman but an individual might be experiencing x y and z or going through the menopause and and actually that might mean that you change their training but again it still wouldn't be you're going through the menopause so x it would be oh you're struggling with this symptom so let me help you manage that or maybe you need a bit more support yeah great question though very good question um next one up hello lovely coaches i have a question about complete protein food sources just because i'm interested more than trying for perfection i know that animal proteins are a complete source but is there an easy way to look at a food type take corn for example and know if it is complete or not i know corn is because google told me but is that the answer or or is the answer just let google tell me yeah like you would have to look up the amino acid profile of a food which isn't going to be on the label they're not going to be like oh there's this much leucine in this um so yeah that would yeah be. it's also pushing yourself into some seriously in-depth reading and to try and find these things as well because exactly as you said a lot of, a lot of them probably even then trying to find it are uh, it'd be very difficult to try and find out what the actual complete amino acid of any food only the main ones that we nailed at the moment, things like um, meats, corn and stuff. If you go further down the line, that's more things that, because there's stuff that's coming out that's that's obviously plant-based that people haven't been able to chuck in a, to chuck, what is, what is it they do again? They pop it into a... Bomb calorimeter, but that would just be for calories. I don't know what they do to figure out the amino acids. The amino profile, acids. But so, I'm yeah, sure so... there's some way of doing it. Yeah, it's, very, it's, a, it's a pretty in-depth question. <laughs> One yeah. that probably wouldn't worry too much about. Yeah, The only thing I would, vegan. if you're vegetarian or vegan, or if you vegan. just don't eat much meat, make sure that, like, and we talk about this all the time, that you are supplementing with creatine because you will be getting, like, so creatine is an amino acid, but it's a non-essential amino acid. And that means that you can synthesize your own creatine. So it's not that vegetarians and vegans will have none, but they will have significantly lower levels than people who eat meat, because that's where you normally get creatine. And even people who eat meat probably don't eat enough meat to saturate the creatine stores. 
So you are like, it's a very good idea to supplement with creatine. But if you're a vegetarian or vegan, I'd be like, like everyone, a hundred percent should be doing this. Um, and even if you're not interested in building muscle, because stores in vegetarians and vegans are so low that it actually has been shown to have a cognitive decline as in like you are less attentive, your working memory is lower and your um, reaction speed is lower as well because your creatine stores are low. And that's because creatine is not just used in muscle, it's used in your brain as well. So it is important, even if you're like, oh, I'm not really fussed about getting stronger, I would still be taking it. Good show. Next one up um, from Louise. Question about morning routines. I keep forgetting. I usually have breakfast as soon as I get up and then go to the gym for a walk. Go to the gym or for a walk. So I feel like I'm already checking off the main benefits of commit to six morning routine. Does it matter or should I make more of an effort? Thank you. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. The, the rationale behind a morning routine is really starting your day with a positive, which you're already doing and you're exercising yeah. and fine. Yeah, you don't need to do it. Yeah, the, the morning routine's basically just giving you a template of what you could do to start your day. Like, you might not do anything on those that list that starts your day, but you've, if you find a morning routine that works for you, um, that's probably the way I would look at it. You know, it just gets you up, gets you moving, gets you fired and ready for, for the day ahead. So, yeah, always good. Um, okay, doke. Uh, I've always struggled with food and snacking in the morning. I get up, have breakfast, and then immediately crave chocolate or a diet juice. I always put this down to having cereal for breakfast. This week, though, I've been having a bagel, Philadelphia light, tomatoes, and grilled turkey for breakfast, and it still happens. Any tips to get past this? I can drink a diet juice, and that's enough to satisfy, but I'm just wondering why the craving happens. I have PCOS in cases of any relevance interesting i mean it's your breakfast sounds, habitual. It, your breakfast sounds lovely to start with oh, very nice Decent. i mean obviously i don't eat meat anymore so i wouldn't be having that but it does sound like a great start today i actually think like one it doesn't sound like it sounds like you've just started having a different breakfast so it might take a little bit of a while to kind of like like Andy's saying, it might be habitual. So it normally takes a bit of a while to get out of habit and for those cravings to reduce. Um, and also like cravings come and go and you don't have to act on them. And yeah, like I think we all crave things from, from time to time. There's not always like a reason that you're craving. Do you remember those memes that used to go around and it was like, if you're craving chocolate, it actually means that your body wants, I don't know, some- Tassium or some yeah, bollocks. So what you should do is suck on a banana and you're like, what? I just wanted some chocolate because, and also remember that like cravings can be um, stimulated by anything. So you suddenly crave a chocolate cake because you've seen it on the TV. It's not because your body wants it. It's because you've been exposed to it. it and it might be something habitual like that. It could be that you're like, I always crave this in the morning. So my, my body and my brain is kind of thinking about something sweet and then I crave something sweet. Yeah. It's that, it's the whole getting the head into it though, isn't it? It's the same thing as if you wake up in the morning and think that you're tired, of course you're going to be tired. You're going to slug, be sluggish to get up. Whereas generally how I get, I'm up at five most mornings and I'm up and I'm straight out of bed, no snoozes on the alarm and I'm buzzing for the, for the morning. Um, and that's just a mindset thing. It's just get up. If I hang, if I literally snooze my thing, 
I feel like crap for the first three or four hours of the day. So as soon as I, as soon as the alarm goes up, out, toilet, toilet teeth sorted, done, and it's it's um. But yeah, if you know if things, these things are habitual, and your body, your mind will go straight away to if you j- literally just changed over, your body will still, your head will still be thinking about oh cravings for whatever it is because that was only last week. You know, and it's just a case of just it's it's riding riding those riding the thoughts and just getting on with it. It's yeah, not quite like that. <laughs> Sorry, my space just got. I mean, so like, most people like like spiritual people like surf the urge, and he's like ride the thoughts. Ride the thoughts. I like just it. Like, I go. think it might catch on. You know. <laughs> Hashtag riding thoughts. Yeah, ride the thoughts. You, you can you can have that one, and, and then that would change it from surf the urge, which is a bit dry, a bit boring now. Sadly, I got a tattoo of it. <laughs> Maybe I should get a new one. <laughs> riding the thought, right? Riding thoughts. Yeah, you could have you could have the. I always remember the as a picture of the the little kitten that's riding on like a bull, and just have yeah. that. No wait, ride. isn't it a kitten riding like a shark? Is it a kitten riding a shark? Is it? Uh, something like that. Riding thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, get that. Get that on my um on the other side. I think shoulder. Yeah, just a huge big one, a big sleeve. Yeah. Big sleeve. Done. Um okay look, next up. Um Louise again. Sorry, me again. Question about BCAs. I know you said there's no need to take them if you get enough quality protein in your diet. I'm curious about what happens to the surplus in the body if I take more than you need. Is there any harm in finishing the tub that I have? There's no harm in it, but there are calories in BCAAs. Yeah, and this I is think, like they get away with not putting them on the tub because most of the time calorie labels are done by the macronutrients in the food. So you've got protein for four calories per gram, carbohydrates four calories per gram, fat nine calories per gram. Now, because BCAAs are part of protein, they get away with not putting that on the label but normally i think each serving is about 40 calories 40 50 calories which yeah. you know nothing to cry about but also if there's no benefit then yeah it's bcas you know we've spoken about this previously you know there's no harm in taking them i actually think they taste like crap they no matter how they're flavored you still get that real horrible back-end taste it because if you don't already know this might freak you out into not finishing your tub but they're generally made from hair or feathers. And the hair comes from prisoners, apparently. Isn't it duck feathers? Duck feathers or prisoners' hair. Apparently one of the biggest places is Chinese prisoners. Nah. Apparently so. So good luck finishing that tub of BCAs. Yeah, you enjoy that, Han. Um, and I, the think, fact that I think as well, like the, the, the benefit, the, the negative could be one, the calories in it. Yeah. And two, there is some rationale for people who used to sit BCAAs all day that if you are constantly exposing your tissue to amino acids, it becomes somewhat amino acid resistant. So that means that normally what happens throughout the day is you have a state of flux with your protein. You've got muscle protein synthesis going on and muscle protein breakdown going on and you have like spikes in muscle protein synthesis when you eat. So when you ingest protein. Now, ideally, that spike comes back down to baseline before it is then spiked up again. But if you are constantly consuming BCAAs, especially leucine, 
then it can stay slightly elevated. And I don't think it has as big a spike or as big a response. And thus the area under the curve of protein synthesis is reduced and thus you build potentially less muscle. So that, that would be like a sciencey rationale. Like I don't have any evidence for that. There's just a rationale for it. I don't think anyone could really study that long enough to see what kind of impact it had or would really want to, because it's like, what's the point in BCAAs anyway? But that would be the only thing. So if I was ever going to consume BCAAs myself, I would have them with a meal. Like, for example, if I was, I don't know, just having pasta for dinner and there was no protein source with it um, and I was trying to finish off a tub of BCAAs, I might have, might sprinkle some BCAAs on there instead of Parmesan. Blue raspberry pasta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds, sounds delicious. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Becky, hey, guys, I have a question about protein. Should we count protein from veggies, bread, and rice towards the 25 grams per meal serving for NPS? Or does the 25 grams for NPS need to be from complete protein sources such as meat, fish, Greek yogurt? My daily average protein is quite high at 140, so I was thinking I would lower it to allow for some more carbs, but I want to make sure I'm getting enough for muscle protein synthesis at each serving. I would say get a minimum of 20 grams per meal from the whole protein source and then trace protein on top of that is fine, is what it is, fine. Yeah, the thing that the, the 140 grams is, I would say right, relatively high as well. Um, you could just cut back on that to bring in, to, to add in some more carbs if you need to, but that's not a necessity. If you're if you're finding that you're feeling training and stuff well at the moment and you're recovering nicely, I probably wouldn't change it, especially if like changing it means you're having to put more thought into what you're you're sorting out with your food. Um, you know, it's like it's the sort of decision fatigue, you know, too much thought about cutting back on certain things and adding other stuff in. Whereas if you've got a nice settled routine and that's what you're doing, it's maybe worthwhile just sticking with it. Yeah. Okay, Lindsay's saying, hi guys, I know it's been asked lots and I have listened, sorry, I should have listened, thinking about taking creatine, pros, cons, and what type do you recommend? Is it the monotype? Thank you. Okay, so the easy part first, yes, it's creatine monohydrate. Um, the pros of taking creatine, increased strength, thus leading to hopefully increased muscle mass as well. Um, and also what I think is really quite exciting is the cognitive benefits what I will say is that from what I've seen in the research, there seems to be big cognitive benefits to people like vegetarians who have very low levels. But I do think that maybe people who eat meat, at least a decent amount of meat, have potentially got enough creatine to saturate some of the cognitive benefits. But there also might be benefits in terms of reduced risk of Alzheimer's as well. And I'm, I don't think it's quite conclusive yet, but it's quite interesting that one of the genes, gene variants that predisposes people to Alzheimer's also coincides with having low creatine levels. Um, so maybe supplementing with creatine could potentially help. Again, like this is quite new research, but the, the whole point of this is there are a lot of potential pros and certain pros, i.e. The, the performance side of things we know for sure. And there aren't really any cons, like, at all. I think some people are like, oh, water retention is a con. It's not. Like, it's not water retention that you've probably experienced in the heat. 
with yeah. like swollen hands and feet. It's nothing like that. It's retaining water within your muscle to store the creatine. So you might experience a slight increase on the scales, which probably won't be very much, especially if you don't have a lot of muscle mass, thus you don't have a huge amount of muscle to store creatine in. Um, so I wouldn't even say that's negative, but some people might. And then there are like few and far between, but some people find that they, I don't know, just have some kind of side effect to it, whether it normally it's like stomach cramping. I've never experienced that. If you do have that, I would maybe try taking it at like different times of day or breaking it up. So you take 2.5 grams in the morning, 2.5 at night, or know as well that like, if you just took 2.5 grams, you'd still get great benefit from that. Like even if you couldn't take the three to five grams, you took a smaller dose, like you're still going to get benefit. So I don't really see there being many negatives. If you are someone who has had like a kidney transplant or something, maybe speak to a doctor first, apart from that. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's one of those ones, it's three to five grams per day for life. You don't need to do any loading phases. It's not gonna make that much of a difference. Um, and just just um, creating monohydrate, the cheapest you can find. Powder form or tablet form, but I always find that the tablet form, especially the size of the tablets are like horse tranquilizers. They're generally massive. So powder goes into pretty much anything. Protein shakes, fruit juice in the morning. Some folk put it into hot drinks like coffee and stuff, which gives me the freak, but only because I don't drink hot drinks. So yeah, fire and find what works for you. You know what? I'm got, I've got quite hardcore. Do you know what I've started doing? Getting a little scoop, putting it in my mouth, getting a little bit oh. of water. Swelling it around my mouth and just swallowing it. That's a gateway drug, Emma. You're going to end up start dry huffing pre-workout, and that's that's the end. The end to it all. That's just. Jonah does that, doesn't she? Yeah. She's mental. Crazy, crazy, crazy. We have a last question on the on the group. Um, can you give me a useful cue for how my shoulder blade should feel when doing dumbbell deadlifts? The weight pulls my arms down and I and I feel my shoulders are rounded. I don't know if this is wrong, but it feels weird. Deadlifts. Yeah, deadlifts, there's a fine line between your shoulders being pulled back to like your traps are behind your ears and your back just being locked in position and you're looking for your back to be locked in position. So imagine that you're in a nice tight posture, upper backs pulled, squeezed, um, don't pull your traps up to your ears, which is what I see a lot of people doing with deadlifts, barbell or um, or dumbbell. Just pull your shoulder blades up. And the biggest one I always think is chest, get your chest up high. The higher you have your chest, the more your back will tighten up and lock in place. Um, so yeah, it's um, deadlifts are something that will, especially the heavier you go, the, the trajectory is downwards with the dumbbell. They want to go down. So you're going to have to use... You're, you're going to have to use your mus- musculature and hold it tight. Otherwise, it will round off. So, yeah. Yeah, I always think a, a good cue is like turning your lats on. Like they should yep. be engaged. Your core should be engaged. And then always move from your hips. Like it's a hip hinge movement first, yep. not a knee bend movement. So think about yep. that first. Um, obviously, if you have any questions, post the video. Andy is phenomenal at form check. So post the video yeah, quite happy to chuck that up okay all awesome. right then. is that us done that's us done
They were great questions, guys. Thank you very much. Smashed it. Smashed it out of the park. I'm off to train shoulders. Nice. I did some chest and triceps this morning and a sort of virtually a swimming pool of sweat. It was horrible. I trained arms like two days ago. Still sore? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> what um, are your name? What was it? Was it just like lots of volume or? Yeah. In fact, I'll post I I'll send you the the workout. I post it on my Instagram if anyone is listening and interested. But it was really brutal. It was a lot of it was a lot of volume. It was a lot of reps and uh it was very good. Love and life. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, thank you for your time and excellent questions. We will be back next week. Oh, just a little announcement as well. First check-ins this weekend. Shona is going to Portugal. So anyone who's checking in with Shona, please make sure you do that first thing on Thursday if you can. That would be amazing. So she can get back to you before she goes away. Otherwise, you, you will obviously get a response, but it will be, I think, the Tuesday or the, the Wednesday the next week. Um, and everyone else is go out on 6 a.m., uh, on Friday at yeah. 6am on Friday I'll stick a post up on Thursday Thursday afternoon just letting people know what they've got to do with it for the check-ins um, and then get them out on the Friday get them back to us and we can get your feedback for the first two weeks two weeks done already I know and just so everyone knows check-ins get like fed back in order so if you want to get feedback quickly get your check-in in quickly be the first and be the first in the line you know yeah. us, we all love But to also don't rush it. Like, don't yeah. certainly don't rush it. Just get it done on the Friday is basically my thing. The the big one with the, the check-ins is that it looks like you can only put a small amount of stuff in, like information in. That box is endless. Just keep typing. Sometimes I've actually said to people, if you type it in your notes and then just copy and paste it across, is a good way of doing it because it means that you don't have to try and scroll back through a line. So that's always a good way to do it. So but I'll put that up on the post on the group. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, as ever, for your time and attention. If you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at ESG Fitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys. 